time I would see Bus Super. Because I'm a builder and they take care of me. Well, I had an accident on the work site and they helped me out, no worries. Yeah, they helped me out real fast. Mate, they just get me. Because they are for all of us. Seabus, for all of us. To consider if Seabus is right for you, visit seabussuper.com.au for a copy of the PDS. I had to go about it, write it out and find it myself. And there's some stories I can tell you. This is the final word. Ashes Daily, day three, the third day of the test match at Taunton where it has stopped hammering rain, the sun is out, and uh, you can see that this is one of these few days of the year where people might think, I know why I live down here. Uh, Adam Collins is with me. Jeff Lemon here. We're brought to you by CBUS, the industry super fund, uh, taking a secure catch of your retirement at long on with safe hands. And uh, Adam, you're going to give us a, a summary of the day in 30 seconds or I fewer. Am. I am. It is a very lovely evening, isn't it? Looking out across the county ground here, the sun's setting over the top of those retirement, what do you call them, apartments to the western side of the ground, which I've never really understood why they only let retirees live there. But well, Because they have a retirement fund. It's obviously very good. Makes sense, doesn't you it? Know. I assume that's where Marcus Triscothic must live now, given yeah. he's been playing here for <laughs> 26 years. years. 27th yeah. year of professional cricket or something <laughs> yeah. ridiculous. He's like Eugene Toombs in the X-Files or something. You, you, you look at newspaper <laughs> clippings from 1932 and you're like, hang, hang on, that looks a lot like Marcus Triscothic. Just area 51. He was <laughs> just standing in the back row of the photo. <laughs> Not area 51, averaging 51. Averaging 51. He's got a stand. He's got a stand named after him. It's not very big. It's probably the least impressive stand I've seen named but after him. But it's where people love to sit here. I've noticed over the years attending yeah. this ground that people love sitting there because it's, it's almost always in the sun for the course okay. of, a, of, a, of a day's play at this ground. Uh, Qualification. Least impressive except for the Basil Dolivera stand, which I think is at Worcester, which is yes. like one of those temporary jobbies with a lot of metal railings bolted together and it's a, a very unattractive The, the worst stand that ever existed were the chapel stands at okay. Adelaide before they abolished that and built the new football stand on the eastern side of Adelaide Oval. Okay. Now, obviously, the chapel stand is in, you know, the, the cricket side next now. to the Bradman stand in, mm. in, the, in the new pavilion, if you, you can call it that. But, uh, yeah, that, that always struck me as a, a fairly a, a fairly grim way to recognise the contribution of the Chapel Brothers. But anyway, <laughs> 30 seconds, you say? 30 seconds. That's what you've well, got. Australia progressed to 420 for eight. Their overnight score was 341 for five. So they lost three for 60-odd, I guess that makes it. Beth Mooney, a maiden half-century in Test cricket. Sophie Molyneux and assured 21. They declared about half an hour before lunch, which meant that England had to bat for three or four overs. Elise Perry castles Tammy Beaumont in that period of time. There was a really important stand put together by Amy Jones and Heather Knight, but Sophie Molyneux ended that. There was a run out that got rid of Georgia Elwes between times. Jones holed out and it got very grim in the last session. 23 overs for 33 runs at the end, which means that England pretty much gave up and that disappoints me greatly. You've blown over by six seconds. I'm not angry, but I'm disappointed. Yeah, I sort of felt I was heading in that direction, but I yeah. thought I should end my sentence. Yeah, I, I know. I know I, during the World Cup sometimes I just ended abruptly and didn't quite get the thought out. But the, the like, last thought's an important one because, like, there were ways, there were, there were cricket calculus, if you yeah. like, suggested there was a way back for England today. Not in the sense that, you know, when, you, when you're that far behind the game, you, you know, you're usually not going to win. But there was a method. Australia have talked a really big game about wanting to win this test match. Not about drawing it, about winning it. And had England got to 271, that is to say, 
one run in, in inside the follow-on of 150. So 149, a very famous Ashes number, of course. So I want to, just for clarification, on a four-day game, the follow-on mark is 150, yes. not 200. That's right. So in a first-class game that's played over four days, which this is, not rather than five as a test would be in the men's context. So in a four-day men's test, which England-Ireland will be, it'll also be 150, I should add. Anyway, um, so had they tried to have got the deficit down to 149 uh, and they were absolutely trending in that direction when mm. Jones and Knight were batting at roughly four and over. Uh, look, they, they could have declared uh, at that point. They could have said to Australia, if you're fed income about trying to win the test match, you're going to have to declare yourselves at some point in the second innings and set us, uh, set us a chase. But instead of doing that, Nat Siver, who was batting really nicely before tea, and for that matter, after tea, she, she did nothing that would suggest she was looking to put it away then, but lost Sarah Taylor not long after the tea interval. And then they just made a decision. Catherine Brunt walked out and made 15 off, I don't know, 60 or 70 balls. 75 balls. 75 balls. 75 balls. I, I doubt Catherine Brunt's batted 75 balls for 15 runs in any game of cricket ever in the history of her career. And instead of her and Nat going on to try and have a pop at getting to that 271 figure, they went the other way. So they're 199 for five or six, maybe, yep, for six, six at the close, which I look at it that. If they were 240 for nine at the close, they'd be no worse off. If that Siver had have mm. had a pop for an hour, I mean, it, well, it doesn't, yeah, it wouldn't have it, it would have had no material effect on whether they were going to draw this game or otherwise. All so they've done here is almost guarantee that they can't win it, which means they can't win back the trophy. It's a really, really bizarre set of, you know, a really bizarre set of cricket because we know how clever Mark Robinson is. He's got, had such a long experience as a county coach and county player before that where they always set up games like this for a final day finish and strikes me as very odd that they didn't try something today. Let me lay it out for those of our listeners who may not be following your lead. The idea is that if England declare just past the follow on 150 behind, they then dare Australia to set them something, set them a target, whatever that may be. And Australia have to balance, okay, we want to bowl them out again, but 150 is not enough. We need to bat, but we need to set them something that's vaguely attainable so that they'll go for it and we have a chance of bowling them out. So what it does is keep both teams in the game. The the, uh, the English have to attack, which means the Australians are interested. Uh, a little like Michael Clark at the Oval in 2013, yep. that sort of thing to say, all right, well, we'll set you 250 in two sessions and, and you can go for it if you feel confident if you feel you can get there in 60 overs or whatever it might be. Yeah, that's right. And uh, then you've got a team going for it and a team who can take wickets and they're both in the game. And this until... I don't know, 20 years ago was very common in test cricket as well due to the proliferation of scores above 300 in the fourth innings and truer tracks, you don't see it as often. But you go back to the mid-90s and a team setting another side 250 on day five was very common in men's test cricket. Mm -hmm. And in first-class cricket, it happens all the time. And the only other additional point to why I thought they should try something like this is that there's 108 overs scheduled for tomorrow. That's not just a full day. That's a full day and a half a session on top of that. So... Even in the event where Australia had have batted for, say, 45 overs in their second dig and left 53, I mean, there's no way if Australia bat for 45 overs in that scenario, they're not going to end up going at better than three or four and over, which mm. would have meant the score is out of England's reach probably, which still puts them in a great position to take 10 wickets in 53 overs. Like, there's a number of ways you can cut this up, but the, the, the principal point here is is that instead of batting with purpose and aggression towards the end after tea with 150 overs still left in the game. There was mm. 42 overs bowled in the final session today. They just kind of lost Sarah Taylor and they're like, oh, well, Sarah Taylor's gone. We, we won't bother. We're Nat Siver, we have both yeah. witnessed Nat Siver do some remarkable things on the cricket field. And, and Catherine Brunt's one of the quickest scorers around if she decides to. Especially in the last few years with Catherine Brunt. She used to be a fast bowler who'd whack it. Now she's quite an accomplished player across the board, especially in short-form cricket. Now, the mitigating... 
um, point here that Siva pointed out when we spoke to her at Stumps is that Australia bowled really well at the end, and that's fine. But they were given the chance to bowl really well. They were, mm. they were given the chance to get into their groove because all the purpose and all the sting had gone out of the innings earlier when Jones was batting with Knight. They were going at four and over and putting the pressure back on Australia. We didn't see any of that in the final hour. I don't buy that because from what I was watching in that last hour or so, there were a lot of forward defensives. There were a lot of dead bats. And it doesn't matter how well someone's bowling. It doesn't mean you have to greet everything with a full face of the bat back down the pitch to the bowler. That's nonsense. You know that if someone's bowling well, there are still ways to score singles. There are still ways to move the strike along. You don't have to be clouting everything over the fence to go at four and over. It's it's a relatively sedate thing to do. And four and over would have been enough, by the way. Had they they gone gone three and a half and over in the final session? Like We're not talking about them batting in T20 mode, although there would have been an argument for going in T20 mode at the end. But even just at a medium mile, moderate pace, yeah. that would have been sufficient to have got them near enough to that 150 mark That's overnight. The thing. It, wasn't, it wasn't going for it, it was just batting with some purpose. Yeah. Um, Anya Shrubsell, according to the BBC statistician Phil Long, has made the longest one not out on record. Um, they don't have balls face <laughs> data for it goes back all that far, but it is the longest on record. I yeah. love that, because that backs up. How many balls she faced? Uh, 36 balls for her one not out. Of course, in Canterbury four years ago, she made the 47 ball duck. She did one of the, the third fixture. longest, I think, in the history of tests. <laughs> I, think, uh, I think your mate Jeff Allen. Jeff Allen. Has the has it with right. And I reckon Carl Rackerman might have the second okay. slowest, stuff like that. But, um, yeah, so, so that means that in, in her last, what, 80-something deliveries in England, she scored one run, <laughs> um, <laughs> which is... Oof. Which, which belies the fact that Anya's quite a good player too. Like, this is the other and thing. An aggressive An- An- player. Anya in T20 cricket has been quite an effective striker of the ball. Anyway, yeah. I don't want to go on about this too much because there's other individual feats to, to, to reflect on, but it just seems to me like when both sides have come out talking about wanting to play more test yep. cricket going forward, that instead of setting up a game that could have a thrilling finish, they've almost conceded defeat or conceded the best they can get out of this is a draw. When, is a draw, which means that they can't win the series, therefore. Yeah. It means you know they if, the best they can get is two points out of it and then win all three teams. 20s and, and tie the series, which is nonsense, and they didn't give it a go. Disappointing. We're disappointed Qu- in New England. Question for you. Okay. Have, have you thought about this a little bit this afternoon? Question without notice. Mm. Should the test match be exactly where it is? Because it's worth more points than the other games. I mean, putting to one side the fact that I think the test should be worth five, not four. Should the should the test match perhaps come after the first one day before mm. we get into a situation where drawing it becomes advantageous to one side? Well, the one days have never been a clean sweep before. Because the teams have been competitive in 50-over cricket. True, but there is the risk it nearly was last time. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm just saying that in order to safeguard against this, putting the test maybe after one one day or after a couple of T20s, might, I know it would mix it up, but fundamentally it's the same squads. It's not as though we're having... Um, I think whichever way you structure it, you're always going to have issues. I think our, I'm pretty sure our strategy last time was five points for the test, three for each one-day game, something and like that. And then two for T20s. two for the T20s. Yeah. But no, however it goes, if the test is first and a team wins it, then they're way up, they're way ahead and it... It skews things. If it's in the middle, then it can be an advantage to draw it. I think it's just got to be... Uh, the teams have to actually walk the walk and or talk the talk or whatever it is that you're supposed to do <laughs> when you come good on your promises. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, well, you're not going to fool me again. Um, <laughs> they really should because... And they haven't. They haven't done. Australia batted... I'm sorry, they batted like dross on the, the late part of day one and, and day two. I mean, beautiful defensive technique and so on from Perry and, and I respect the innings but 
she needed to get moving. They needed to get moving in order to to have a bit more interest in this in this game. You know, you can't be plodding along at one and over and expecting that people are going to be captured by the contest. Yeah, it just doesn't work. Well, I don't think they were going at one and over, and I don't think that. And that discounts the fact that on the second morning they batted for thirty two overs and the pitch was up and down. That was hard hard going. Yeah. So, I mean. And, and plus, you win the advantage to do that when you bat first in a test yeah. match when you're trying to bat once. So I don't, I don't really hold Australia to account for this. I'm All those things were factors, but there yeah. have been periods for both sides, which is what I'm getting at. There have been periods of good bowling, sure, but there have been periods where there's been a lack of urgency and a lack of willingness to to even, like, not to take the game on in a crazy, reckless way, but just to take it on with a bit more purpose. Um, and it's understandable because they're, they're probably anxious because you don't play another test for two and yeah. a half years. Yeah. But I think that's a factor. And, and it was very different to say the way that Beth Mooney came out and batted this morning on the third day because she batted gorgeously. She came out and shook yep. off that concern from day two where she was obviously thinking, just get to lunch and don't get out, and fair enough. But she came out on morning three and said, no, no, my game is that I go. And, and she did. And she struck the ball beautifully. She timed it beautifully. She made a, a test 50. She's only had one test innings before. 37, I think she made in her only test innings in, in North Sydney, but made 51 today uh, off 90 balls. Most of those 90 were yesterday. She struck boundaries. She advanced, used her feet, drove through covers, did all the things that Beth mm-hmm. Mooney does so well, it was good. which makes her such a treat to watch as an opener in, in T20 formats. Um, and then she was able to, to bring a bit of that a bit of that juice today um, and batting with Sophie Molyneux was a bit freed up and um, and Molyneux played a few shots as well and you know it, it just got things going a bit I buried the lead on Molyneux with her bowling I thought she was outstanding today with the ball uh, the way that she bowled when Knight and Jones were getting hold of Jonathan especially I think Jonathan went for four boundaries in her first 11 deliveries mm-hmm. up the other end is Molyneux who got the ball thrown to her at first change actually in the 10th over of the day bowling at the other side of Lamick who, um, who was inconsistent quick Exciting, but inconsistent. So Molyneux had to do a job from one end, and she yeah. did it with both of those bowlers going around a little bit. She was able to steady things down, control the run rate, and then strike with a couple of very, very good balls going on with the arm, and then deceiving Amy Jones that chipped out to mid-off with the ball that dipped a little bit. Uh, so, uh, again, that, that that's batsman error, but also uh, advantage bowler too in yeah. terms of being able to, to bring on the error. Uh, so I thought that her first performance, remembering of course that she wasn't in the limited over squad, she mm. wasn't in the women's Ashes squad, she was in the A squad and they, they, they brought her into this 15 I think it was to play or to be, to be available for the test match. Mm-hmm. She's got picked and you know her performance last year in 2018 um, which meant 20, I think she got 21 wickets in 18 games, won a World T20 then mm-hmm. had the shoulder op. If not for the shoulder op she would have been the first pick for this side. So as we've noticed and noted on our podcast over the last few years, she's a product of the BBL, opened the batting and opened the bowling there quite a lot, and I'm thrilled to see her being able to deliver on the test match stage. She's which seems the Gulbadine naive of the Melbourne Renegades. Yeah. Well, it seems suited, like, much like Perry, though, doesn't it? You watch her yeah. bowl and you think, gee, what, would it be great to watch Sophie Molyneux bowl for long periods of time in yeah. a test match for Australia over and over again? Um, and, and the way that she got Sarah Taylor out with just pressing forward to the ball and it just rushes the front pad before hitting the middle of the bat... That was either a brilliant decision or a lucky accident from Jeff Wolf, the umpire who gave that, who's given nothing out all game. And and if he picked that, fair play to him because <laughs> because it just nicked the front pad and was hitting her just in the line, almost outside the line, but just in the line of off stump. It was out. It was a brave decision. But it was a good is. call. Yeah, it was yeah, a brave very, and good call. It was a very good call from from old Wolfie. So that was Sarah Taylor at six. Um, she was out for five. Uh, 
Tammy Beaumont got a beauty from Elise Perry. Mm. Uh, first up, Perry was swinging the ball, uh, swung it swung it away from her and decked it away off the seam. It was angling in at leg stump, ended up hitting off stump. Beaumont was nowhere near it. She she played a, a weird sort of shot. Her bat went all the way out to gully and then she kind of fell over trying to get across her pad to get to that ball. But Perry just did her in the air. <laughs> the sort of ball, if you get third ball, you're getting out. It reminded me of Jark Cullis to Ricky Ponting uh, at Adelaide Oval all those years ago uh, when Ponting was coming towards the end of his career. It was a, a ball that, that followed a similar flight path and Perry had beaten Beaumont with the almost identical delivery first up in the previous over and missed off stump by the you know the proverbial coat of varnish and then you know castled her with an absolute beauty as you say Jeff. So yes, Beaumont played down the wrong line but most players are after a couple of balls when you're getting deliveries hooping like that by Elise Perry at the peak of her powers. Amy Jones looked pretty good, smacked a, a dozen boundaries, mm. made most of her runs in boundaries, made, yep. made 64 before um, chipping away, as you said. Heather Knight, league before for 28. George Rell was run out by a beautiful bit of work from Nicole Bolton, direct hit um, as they were just trying to scamper through for a single and that was maybe, it, it looked like it was maybe for the best for England because she's a, a notoriously a slow scorer. It actually was for the, the best. I mean, no, no, no disrespect to Georgia Elwes, but when yeah. Siver walks out, you're thinking, well, if they're going to get to 2-7-1 by stumps, it needs to be Siver out there. Yeah. And that's what made the whole last hour even more incongruous. It made it possible, but then yeah. Siver ends up being 62 off 162 balls and they end up going the go slow at the end, which... Was unfortunate, I've got to say. Yeah, um, yeah I, I think they've, there was nothing for England to lose. They can't possibly get anything out of this test if, if they don't try to set up a result. And, you know, they could give it a go in the first 10 overs tomorrow, but they probably chucked away that chance. But I suppose we shall see. Player of the day? Uh, Sophie Molyneux, I think. I, just, I watched her first spell and second spell, actually, really closely, yep. generating serious purchase. Gives it air, and I love that when a finger spinner doesn't yep. dart it in, but she can dart it in. Okay. So that arm ball that she's got uh, is equally potent as the one that spins away from the right mm. hand. Uh, listening to Elisa Healy through the stump mic when Molyneux was bowling was a real treat as well. And a lot of swearing today through the stump mic okay. from a whole range of players. Catherine Brunt um, was missed her run at one point and started swearing at herself. Jess Jonathan, I didn't expect it from okay. her, was swearing at herself as well. Oh. So I'm glad the stump mics are turned up. They would have yes. got fines if they were playing in the World Cup. The men's World Cup, oh. you, you were copying little demerit points for that, but okay. probably not in the women's Ashes. Well, I, Jess, I, I didn't know that. I, I thought you were. <laughs> I, she's a lawyer. I thought she'd she be is. so pulled together. Yeah, yeah. Um, nonetheless, I, I've got a couple of Hall of Fame nominations. Please, I don't have any. Good. This is good. <laughs> They're both good. Um, Taylor Valamek, first over, comes on for her first over in, in international cricket. Bit nervous. Oversteps, no ball. First mm. ball, ouch. Second ball, five wides. Mm. Sprays down the leg side. None for um, six off none. None for six off none. She then, then starts cranking it up to sort of mid-70 miles an hour mark um, and, and then bowls a few on the on the dot and then gets smashed for four last ball of the over. She's gone for 11 off her first over. Comes back in her second over, maiden, on the money, bang, straight away. Yep. I thought, how impressive from her, you know, young... Anxious, probably terrified, but to bounce back and go, all right, you know, obviously good of landing to back her and say keep going, but for Velimic to be able to produce the goods from thereafter, that was impressive. I found it really interesting how conservatively England played against her. Her last six overs went for 10 runs. They did not yep. want to take her on. She didn't bowl that well. <laughs> she did not bowl that well. She was all over the place, but she's so quick that you can get away with that at test level. Uh, and I love her action. 
isn't it just isn't it just a thing of wonder seeing Oof. her hit the crease, all arms and legs? Um, I took a photo of her at one point. With, yeah, well, that, that's the word I was looking for, contortionism. It, her, her arms are around the back of her head one's way, which they don't feel like they should be. Yeah. And it, it makes for good photography, but um, it also makes oh. for an exciting prospect for Australia. I hope she gets her radar right, because I'd love to see her playing in the white ball formats I as well. I just don't know where her, her left arm ends up somehow behind her head, reaching around like to, to as though she's trying to cover her own eyes from the wrong side. It's like facing Dal Sim from Street Fighter. It's just... You know, <laughs> She'd be very good at yoga. Incredible, stretchy yeah. limb business everywhere. Um, the other... My other nomination was last ball of the day, Ash Gardner's bowling the last over. They, they tra- they're trying to crank up the tension last ball of the day. What are we... Oh, we're going to bring in another catcher. <laughs> they send for the helmet. They bring in short leg. They have a long conversation. It goes for about five minutes. Finally, ooh, pressure on. And then Gardner bowls an absolute pie, half-tracker, <laughs> about three feet outside league stump that only shrubs or kicks away and just glares at it like, ugh, gross. Um, and that was very, very funny. A, a, a slightly more serious Hall of Fame, but in the same theme of that, Mel Jones's call of Ash Gardner's wicket, delicious commentary. Just, ap- I'm not going to try and replicate it. I'm sure it'll be on the highlight packages, but um, her reflection on uh, Ash's Indigenous background when she took that wicket, which is great TV. When she got through Catherine Brunt. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Really so, good TV. So Gardner did get to bat today. She was five not out when they declared on her and did pick up her first test wicket as well. Well worth a mention aside from that mishap on the last ball, which I'm pretty sure Ash Gardner would have found very funny. Herself. Bowled really well, Gardner. Ran yeah. the wicket to the right-handers, just gets it in that shoebox. Was unlucky not to be better today. I think that's enough from us. This has been the final word. Uh, Ash's Daily, day three. Uh, it's brought to you by CBUS, the industry super fund, sorting out your retirement. You can find their work at cbussuper.com.au. You can find us at patreon.com slash the final word if you want to chuck a coin in the tin and help keep the lights on. At Final Word HQ, the sun's going down. It's Taunton. We'll be back at the fourth day tomorrow. Adam, I'll see you then. Have a nice Sunday, everybody. Every day, hundreds of thousands of us are building a future we can all be proud of. For over 34 years, the growth CBUS My Super option has returned an average of 9.29% per annum for its members while investing in projects that not only create jobs, but something better. CBUS for all of us. To consider if CBUS is right for you, go to cbussuper.com.au for a PDS. Past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance.